Welcome to the Find Your Voice, Change Your Life podcast with psychologist Dr. Doreen Downing. Listen in as Doreen interviews people who felt they didn't have a voice or who suffered extreme speaking anxiety. You'll hear stories about how they struggled to speak up, what they did to find their authentic voice, and the confidence they now feel to speak up and make an impact. If you want to get started right away to find your voice, download Doreen's free 7-step guide to fearless speaking at Doreen7steps.com. And now, here is Doreen. Hi, I'm Dr. Doreen Downing, and I'm host of the Find Your Voice, Change Your Life podcast. What I do here is to interview people. I ask them to come on and pretty much unzip about where they feel like they didn't have a voice, but also to point to the path where they did discover their voice. So you get both. You get both the struggle as well as the transformation here. Today, I have a guest that I've invited and Peter, you are somebody who is a public speaker, so this is going to be fun. And I mean, if you started out with a a situation and a struggle and then are now a public speaker, you've come a long way. So let me first introduce you, what you gave me, all right? Peter George, as a child, Peter had speech impediments, a lisp and a stutter. And consequently, he grew up to be shy, introverted, and reluctant to speak in front of others. However, when he entered the business world, he realized that public speaking skills are essential, which is so, so, so true. Yeah. Ironically, Peter is now a speaking coach, helping others learn to communicate more effectively so they can share their experience and expertise and benefit others. Well, Peter, that sounds a little like my journey. So this is going to be fun to hear hear yours. So welcome. Welcome to today, our show, Peter. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me. Yes. And what drew you to want to be here today to speak about your situation? When I learned about your podcast, I just thought it would be a, a great opportunity for me to possibly help some of your listeners, if I can add some knowledge, experience, and advice that helps them, that's great. I would love to do that. Oh, I appreciate your open-heartedness and willingness to use yourself as a vehicle for change. So because I'm a psychologist, like I said, I'm always curious about early development. You know, we come into this world and then we are out there saying, hello, hello, look at me, look at me. And sometimes the world either doesn't or you're born with a certain kind of impediment. And that's what I'd like to hear more about first. All right. Going back pretty far to when I was about nine years old. Uh, around there. If you grew up, I grew up in Providence, Rhode Island. I live just outside of Providence now. But when you grow up in the city, if you have speech impediments, you're bound to get picked on a little bit. So you learn to do two things fairly well. One is keep your mouth shut. I didn't speak to many people outside my family and friends. And that includes in school. I didn't answer questions if I was called on or anything like that. The other thing you learn to do is be fairly proficient in sports, because if you're good in sports, you generally don't get picked on. So I played baseball, football, and hockey. So I was playing sports year-round, and that helped me get through that time. I still didn't answer questions in school or speak to people other than the people I was uh, fairly close to. Well, what a strategy. 
that was intuitively very smart. I'm not sure, you know, did your parents say this will help you or did you just kind of bottom line say, I, I figured it out? No, I don't think there was any figuring it out at all. I think one, I just wanted to stop talking because I was afraid people would make fun of my list or my stutter. And the other was I love, I like sports anyway. And I realized that if you were good in sports, you, yeah, you, you didn't get, like I said, didn't get picked on or people seem to favor you a little bit more. Well, usually people learn that lesson about getting picked on if it happens. So I'm curious, even before nine years old, you probably had that speech impediment. What was is that where you learned it that you did get picked on? No, I never really did. Uh, thankfully, my friends were pretty good and about it and like i said i didn't speak in front of people much before that so it was really an evolution i'm sure mm -hmm. i'm not sure i can go back any further than that i just remember being around eight or nine uh -huh. and uh and knowing that i wanted to do something to avoid instead of dealing with it the way i should have i was a nine-year-old kid or eight-year-old kid whatever it may have been i wanted to avoid it and the more i could avoid it the happier i was yeah, because well, I was different. Yeah, I, I think that awareness, what you're talking about, the awareness of having some sense of being different, you don't even have to be told that you're different. Yeah. You you figure that out really pretty soon. And then you make those adjustments. And it feels like by nine years old, consciously, you're making the adjustment to um, not speak up, to hide your hide your voice. Yeah, I picked that age when I speak about it, probably because that was when I went into school one morning on a Tuesday morning, fourth grade, and my teacher said, go down to room 101. And 101 in an elementary school, like it is or a lot of places, especially in older schools back east here, are a little more than a broom closet. It's where they kept all the AV carts and things like that. But in this particular case, it's where the speech pathologist, I'm assuming she was a pathologist, uh, happened to be. It was, again, nothing more than a closet. And I went in there and I stood there in tears every Tuesday morning for an entire year saying uh, things like Slippery Sammy Serpent has seven silly sisters. I had to say that a thousand times, let alone every other torturous tongue twister. So that was what they did back in the 60s. They just had you literally stand there for an hour at a time, repeating phrases like that. Oh, I'm, I'm really glad that you opened that up because obviously it doesn't seem like our, our educational system does that to children nowadays, but you're right, you know, that uh, it's a different, it, it could have been a different system. I know my mother had some mental challenges, mental illness, and she was in the hospital, and this was during the 50s. They gave her shock treatment, and it's unlike any kind of shock treatment that's <laughs> nowadays. So right. I understand that the times are different, luckily. But still, what you're saying is the challenge was really you tried. You tried. you tr For a year, you were attempting to change something that uh, made it difficult for you to feel comfortable and speak up. What happened next then during during high school? Did you also kind of do sports and, and not speak up? 
I played sports. I didn't speak up much at all in high school, but by the time I got to high school, both impediments had receded a great deal. So as much as I hated those Tuesday morning mornings and learned to hate Monday nights because I knew it was coming the next morning that year, uh, it worked. To some degree, it worked. And no one really hears the lisp of the stutter much anymore. I'll stutter if I'm speaking about something that's truly near and dear to my heart. And I hear the list, but no one else does anymore. Oh, well, I, I think there's a beauty in how our voices come through us. So I think that if the lisp is there and however it comes out, that that's your unique uh, voice and it's got a character, let's say. <laughs> yes. Yes, it does. <laughs> and the other thing, when you ask about high school, uh, back in high school were the days of being so-called stuck up. I was an athlete. I did pretty well in school and I didn't speak to people. So I had that reputation of, I thought I was too good to speak to people, but <laughs> I, I grew up in, in to this day, I'm both shy and introverted. I'm an introvert, incredibly so. And I'm still fairly shy. I, I have a hard time speaking to people who I don't know. Uh -huh. Well, uh, what you said just a second ago, too, is that the stuttering sometimes shows up when you are speaking from your heart. And already just spending a few minutes with you, never having a face-to-face -face or any kind of connection with you prior to this, I feel your warm heart. Oh, thank you. Thank you. You're welcome. So if stuttering happens, I know we're close to your heart. <laughs> uh, it, it most often happens. I loved both my parents and they're both gone. My dad's been gone since I was 30. So over 30 years. And uh, if I talk about my dad in certain ways, I'll stutter all the way through it. Oh, uh -huh. was he an athlete? Yes, he was. He was. And his older brother was a tremendous athlete, I mean, professional quality athlete. But as you can see on video, oh, wrong shoulder, over the shoulder is a fire helmet. And that's one of my dad's fire helmets. And I have several of them, but that's the one that saved his life once. So I keep that near and dear to me as well. Oh, my goodness. Uh -huh. Are those some, is that a guitar back there? What is, what's These? right? Yeah, those are, oh, nope, that side too. That, that side, those, yeah. Uh, yeah, those are three exact replicas of, er of three of Eric Clapton's guitars. All right. Before I go back to voice, you have to tell me that story. <laughs> I, I grew up, I'm a guitarist. I've been playing since, incidentally, since I was nine. But I grew up loving Eric Clapton's music. Still do to this day. I listen to it every single day. Oh. And those are exact replicas, including if he had a nick on the guitar, it's shown on those replicas. They were taken from the last known photos of each of those guitars. And they were mocked up that way. Oh, how fascinating. Well, you also brought forth on this platform now that you like to play the guitar. Do you also sing or was it just the the playing of it? I, I sing when no one's around. Uh-huh. <laughs> I'll sing. I'll sing. I play every night. Uh -huh. And my wife goes to bed at around 9 to 10 o'clock each night. And I go to bed between 1 and 2. And during that time, I play. Oh. And sing. And every once in a while, I'll hear the door close upstairs, which I think means you're singing too loud. Uh huh. 
I well, sometime we'll have to schedule a podcast <laughs> at midnight <laughs> so that we could come in and listen to you. Oh, well, thanks for for sharing that. I think that music is a voice in some ways that uh, it's not just words that come through us. It's uh, the music that comes through your body, your fingers, because you're making a, a sound and that's the guitar has a voice is what I, I mean, isn't there a song, my guitar sing, uh, sleeps or sings my guitar weeps? The Beatles, while my guitar gently weeps. That's it. <laughs> One of my favorite songs to play. Oh, Oh, well, we're really getting on here, darn it. <laughs> I have to get back to what the struggle was. Okay, so we're in high school and uh, you're moving on in life, kind of figuring out that you're a good, solid athlete and you've got some confidence around that. And then you move on into uh, what, college? Or did you start? Tell us yeah. about that experience. I know Same for me. Very much the same. My uh -huh. life, my life didn't, I didn't play sports in college, but very much the same. Uh, still shy, still introverted. One of the first classes I ever went to as a freshman had 300 people in it. It was the last day I went to that class. Uh, I transferred out of it the next morning. It was just way too many people. And uh, so that's how I spent much of my life. And I was fortunate enough that from school, I went to work for a major uh, electronics firm, a firm that's uh, a leader in the field. And when I got there, I had to present. Hello, world. <laughs> yep. and, yeah, and, I got to step up. And, and there was uh, no way around it. Well, there was one way around it, and that was to leave. And it was too good a job to leave. So what happened there is, uh, this goes back to the days of cassettes. Mm -hmm. I had an hour commute each way to to work. And I used to put in a cassette and I would listen to about public speaking and how to become better at it. And I probably progressed a little, but not as much as I wanted to, and certainly not as quickly as I wanted to. So I went from there. Plus you get no feedback on how well you're doing. So from there, I went to group coaching, which was good. And from there, I went to personal coaching, which was tremendous. Was the group coaching in person? Yes. With other other people yeah there were probably 45 of us oh really Who yeah it was, a, it was a big class which didn't bode well for me not liking a yeah. lot of people aren't being an introvert that didn't bode well right one-on-one -on -one coaching was amazing okay i'll hear about that in a moment but i want to just ask about that group coaching business was that uh did your business pay for that how did you yes uh-huh yeah the company was an awesome company to work for uh, they paid for that and, and the other coaching as well, but yeah, they paid for that. Sometimes those speaking trainings can be all about speaking rather than about really moving through whatever issue is for you. And it sounds like then you tried individual. How did you find an individual coach? Through the company. They oh. had connections and it was down in the city, down in Manhattan. And I got help there. And that was just eye-opening. What I learned actually is I had been studying communication, speaking my entire life. But I was while I was avoiding it, I was watching and learning and all. 
And it was the coach who brought that out in me and said, you know, a lot of this instinctively because you've studied it so closely without realizing you were studying it. I think that's a profound message. And I hope that the people who are listening can hear that. If you're struggling with any kind of communication issues, that obviously you might have been looking around for answers or help all along. Yeah, it's it's kind of like to really avoid it well, you have to know what to avoid. <laughs> so that's what I was doing much of my life, my young life anyway. Uh-huh. Well, one of the things I hear for people from people is that the the avoiding is is the issue. They just don't show up, they get sick, they in some ways make some kind of excuse up for not uh, for not being in a situation where they have to speak. What I learned was that if I spoke about music or sports, which we're doing a lot here, <laughs> and then later on business, I didn't stutter. And it was sort of like from back in the 60s and 70s, I guess, Mel Tillis, who was a country singer, used to see him on television when I was a kid. He would stutter, stammer like crazy. And then as soon as he would start singing, it was wonderful. And then as soon as he stopped, the stammer came back. So I would realize that if I spoke about sports or music, and again, later on business, I really didn't stutter. And I often wonder if people I knew, especially back when I was in high school, college, or in business uh, at that corporation, if they thought I couldn't speak in depth about other things, that those mm-hmm. were the, and I would always drive conversations back to those. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm really glad to hear because I know that a lot of people don't have that kind of uh, arena where they feel like they can be comfortable and confident speaking uh, without that impediment. So, uh, yes, you say business, you said music and sports and business. So how was it that business became a place where you could speak uh, confidently? I loved business. I still do. I love the whole idea of business. I love how it works. I love, uh, you know, I think it's right up your alley. Business is just psychology. Oh. I believe. I think it's just psychology. I actually wanted to go to school to be a psychologist, and it didn't take me long to go, yeah, you're not going to be good at that. So I went into marketing, which is the psychology of commerce. And I really, really enjoy business. The way some people geek out, if you will, on politics, I do that in business. And I love to watch corporate business. I love how small business works. And it's just something that I got so immersed in that it just came fluently to me. So that was pretty good. I like that word fluently. And it feels like for you, and maybe this is a message to listeners, find your passion and that's where fluency might exist. Yeah, I would agree with that. Uh-huh. You know, and and speaking about public speaking, what most of us do is we put the onus on ourselves. What if I screw up? What if they don't like me? What if I make a mistake? What if I forget what I'm going to say? That's an awful lot of weight to carry. Why would you do that to yourself? When we can just shift the focus a little bit and put it on the listener, and how you're going to serve them, how they're going to benefit from your words, and how you're going to communicate those words to them. That's a much better way to look at it, as far as I'm concerned. It's what I teach my clients. 
take that weight off your shoulders and think about the others benefiting. Well, I remember when we first started today and introducing you and you you were gracious and said that's what you were here for is to serve people, the listeners, and add whatever you could to their learning. So you you walk your talk, sir. <laughs> I hope so. I'm actually writing a book and I'm uh, getting closer to being done with it. And it's called Public Speaking, colon, because I want that in the title. But the real title is, it's all about the audience. It's not about us. It's always about the audience. So uh, just keep that in mind for your listeners. Just keep in mind that you're there to serve them. And what better honor in the world than to serve others? And if you've been asked to speak to others, you did not win the lottery and end up in that position. Someone thinks enough of you and your knowledge and your ability to help others to ask you to be in front of others and share information with them. That's a pretty cool thing. Mm -hmm. So we're moving into you finding the voice of a speaking coach somewhere along the line. How did that happen? Once I started speaking, I left the corporate world and opened my own business. And I learned that the more people I could get in front of and speak in a way that would serve them so they were finding benefit of it in it, the more business I did. And that was a pretty cool thing. And then some big corporations asked me to speak at their events and the like. And it just kind of evolved. It wasn't, I'd love to say I had this grand plan, not whatsoever. And it just evolved. And I spoke to build my business and it worked so, so well. And then when I sold that business, my wife and I, it was our business, in 2005, it was like, well, what am I going to do for the rest of my life? Because I got to make a living somehow. And I was still speaking on stages, which was kind of cool. And about 17 years ago, actually, my wife, which was about that time, my wife said to me, you love to help other speakers or people who are just starting out in speaking. What about that? And I thought, who can make a living at that? <laughs> and then I thought back to my experience in New York. I thought, that's what I'll do. And as I built that business, I did some other things. I had another business. But as I built that business, I still spoke. I don't speak as much anymore. I'm getting too old to, <laughs> to do that. And, and this current state of being in COVID uh, isn't helping that a great deal, which is fine with me. But, man, I just love to help people. And the, and the reason I love to help them with this is because for many people, it's a fear or something they've never been taught to do. And I'm a firm believer that confidence comes from competence. And as you become more competent in public speaking, you'll become more confident about it. But not to the end of just public speaking. I truly believe that if I can help someone accomplish their goals, then maybe that'll also help them accomplish their dreams. So if they do well in business or whatever it might be, Let's say they can up their revenue, their income, the revenue for their business or the business where they work and increase their own income. Maybe they get that second house on the water or up in the mountains or somewhere. Maybe they send the, their children to better schools, whatever it might be. So I really think that if I can help with goals, I can help with dreams. And I might never live long enough to see them, especially for my young clients who are in their late 20s. I'll never see the peak of their careers. I'll, I'll be long gone by then. 
but just knowing that you had something to do to help them out, I think is a pretty cool thing. That's wonderful. Yeah. Well, you said something about uh, people who have fear of speaking. It's either about the fear or they haven't learned. Uh, say just a little bit more about what you what you've come to understand about fear of speaking. The way I try to frame it for my clients, and I get it. I get if you have a fear, no matter if I say it's real or not, to you it's real. Yes. You know, <laughs> it, it is reality. But I also think about what when we get excited about something. The flow of adrenaline, which is one of the things that makes us fearful about public speaking or anything else we fear, the flow of adrenaline, whether you're fearful or excited, is pretty much the same. I mean, if I can say to anybody, yep, when, when you get up to speak, your heart races, your blood pressure goes up. If you're light-skinned like me, you can actually see the red go through the throat, up into the cheeks, all of that. Your knees get a little weak, your hands shake, your voice quivers, and everybody goes, yep, 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 yep. 90% of those things are true with me. Okay, what happens when you do something that's a little risky, but you really love? Jumping out of a plane, going on those modern-day roller coasters. All those things. What happens to your body before you do it? Let me see. Your heart races, your blood pressure goes up. You can see the blood rise into your cheeks. Your voice quivers, your knees get weak, and your hands shake. Exactly the same thing. Yes. But we label it differently. Yes. We label that as excitement. We la label the other rush of adrenaline as fear. Mm -hmm. And again, one, we're, going, we're being taken on a ride. The other one, speaking. We're not being taken. We are the person directing, conducting. We are so we, we are doing the ride. We are. <laughs> we, yeah, we are the we ride. So, <laughs> and so we put all that on us again, uh -huh. as opposed to I'm just here to help people. Uh -huh. Well, the idea about uh, the similarity between the physiological, uh, what happens in our bodies is, is true. I, I certainly agree with that. And the people who... Then uh, can say, I'm excited, I'm excited. It feels like the other thing you said, skill, then. some They need to learn a few things about how to, uh, it's not just how to speak when you're excited, it's just how to speak more clearly. What would you say about what needs to be learned then? There's a difference between speaking and communicating. It sounds like semantics, but speaking we've been doing since we were, what, 16 months old? And a lot of people think, I, I don't have to get better at this. I've been speaking since I was a baby. Yeah. Okay, well, you've been able to sing since you were about 20 months old. Can you go on stage and make a living at that? Can you build your business through your singing? Odds are no. You've been able to run since you were three or four. Can you run in the Olympics and compete? Odds are no. Just because we started it young doesn't mean we're proficient at it. And speaking and communicating, like I said, are different. It's learning how to speak with people so they open up their minds and willingly accept what you have to share. That's communicating. Oh, I love what you just said. And I hope people are listening to you and really get impacted by that message. It's uh, important what you just said about uh, us being able to speak in a way that others uh, expand their minds. And that goes along with what your, your message is kind of, it seems like today all along is it's all about the audience. Definitely is.
And and it, you could say it's all about the listener because a lot of times fear of speaking or communicating isn't just about being on a stage or being in front of a group. It's oftentimes speaking to one person and doing that in a way that is effective and more about the other person. Yeah, I agree with that. We often think public speaking is speaking to 10, 20, 100 or 1,000 people. It's one person across a desk, 10 people in a conference room, your significant other across the, the kitchen table. It's any of those. It's speaking to your children and your parents or relatives. Any of those is public speaking. And how you communicate with another mind has a lot to do with it. It's learning to do that. And the other aspect I work with my clients on is not just the conscious act of speaking or listening. It's the unconscious act, all those little things, the body language, the facial expressions, all the little things that go along with communicating that often aren't taught. If we're going to talk about speaking, we're going to say, speak at this rate, use intonation, pause, all these different things. But we often don't teach the unconscious acts, both what we're doing and what they're hearing or seeing. And that's one of the things levels I work on, because that has a great deal to do with it. Yes, I understand. I do somewhat similar kind of with speaking from the essence of who we are, but you have to know what that essence is and you have to be comfortable dropping down into full presence. And one of the things I can say since we're nearing the end that I feel like I'm touched by is your smile. <laughs> I, I, I feel like it, it when you when you communicate and you communicate from a warm heart and a and a really beautiful smile, it feels like I melted. Just keep on talking. Tell me more. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's funny that you mentioned that because if there's one thing I'm self-conscious about is my smile. I, it's crooked. It doesn't. One side goes oh. up higher than the other. All oh. those things. And when I met my wife, we met on a blind date mm-hmm. after. Uh, probably a few months, I said, what was the attraction? And she, she said, your smile. And I said, if I could have listed 10 things of what might have been the attraction, that never would have made the list. It wouldn't have made the top 50. And uh, so it's funny. I think you're the second person ever to say that. <laughs> yes. Yes. You're probably just as uh, flabbergasted now as I was then. <laughs> your, your wife and I have a similar kind of uh, taste. Let's put it that way in, in people who are genuine and it shows up and they aren't afraid to smile. So thank you. Tell me how people can get a hold of you, Peter. Easiest way is my website, which is PeterGeorgePublicSpeaking.com. Great. Well, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Thank you for being with us today for this episode of Find Your Voice, Change Your Life. Each person during interviews shares what has helped them find their voice. You can learn from these guests and find your voice so you can be confident to speak up and speak out. And remember to download Doreen's free seven-step guide to fearless speaking at Doreen7steps.com. We hope you enjoyed the show and we'll return next time. Until then, goodbye for now.